Well, hello, my friends. Thank you for joining me today for Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So excited to be beginning a new year. New opportunities are right before us. And so I thought it'd be very appropriate to spend one day of our broadcast week talking about the various views of God, eight different views of God. And uh, you may come up with a few more, but they all will fall into one of these eight different categories. And so I pray that this will be a blessing to you and encouragement to you as you look at the opportunities that lie before us in 2024. Uh, Well, the first view of God is what is called the monotheistic view. And uh, this is the view that there is only one God, you know, mono meanings one, you know, like you go to the monorail at Disney, there's one rail that that car rides on it. So mono meaning one and theos meaning God, one God. So for the monotheistics, uh, those who hold the view, they have a supernatural being that is only one who is divine, one who is God, right? Now, Satan and the angels and the demons, uh, they believe there's only one God. They don't believe in that one God as providing their redemption. But monotheism is found within various religions, right? Judaism and Christianity and, and the Islam faith and others have also affirmed a belief in only one God. So we would say that as Bible-believing Christians, monotheism is where we are, but we're deeper than that. We have a little different view of who God is than simply monotheistic. And the reason this is so important, when you talk to different people of different faiths, especially those who believe in a monotheistic view of God, they will have a different God. For example, our Islamic friends, they would say they also are monotheistic. They believe that Allah is God. So their God is not Jehovah God. Our friends who are of Jewish descent, those who are traditional Jews, they would say that they also believe only in one God, but they would not put Jesus in that category. They would say that Jesus was a good teacher. He was a rabbi. The Islamic faith would say that Jesus was a good prophet, but he wasn't God. So when we look at being precise in our view of God as Bible-believing Christians, we are not technically monotheistic. We are technically Trinitarian monotheistic. Now, in this view, there is only one God, but that one God is within one of these three distinct yet equal persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So Trinity or Trinitas means three. Only biblical Christianity affirms Trinitarian monotheism. So when you're talking to people who have different faith groups, it amazes me that they all have a um, belief about who Jesus is, but they don't put Jesus on the level of God. For example, our Islamic friends would say Jesus was a prophet, but he was not God. Our friends of Judaism would say that Jesus was a good teacher, but he was not God. Even false religions like Mormonism teaches that Jesus was not God, but he became a God, small letter G God, I guess you could say. And they would say even so much as to the fact that they believe that you can become a God and I can become a God. I want you to know something. You and I will never become gods. There is one God, and he's distinct in three equal persons, Father, 
Son, and Holy Spirit. Only biblical Christianity affirms Trinitarian monotheism. So that's the view that Bible-believing Christians would adhere to. There's a third view of God. We've talked about monotheism. We've talked about Trinitarian monotheism. There is also polytheism. Now, this is the view that there are many gods. Poly means many. And so polytheism is actually an ancient view found in some of the earliest religions and the earliest tribes. The biblical patriarch Abraham, for example, lived in a culture in which polytheism thrived. The ancient Egyptian religion held to a multitude of gods, as did many of the tribes of Africa. Ancient Greek mythology is known as a pantheon of God, a polyistic view of many gods. Although the many thousands of Hindu gods are often viewed as a manifestation of the one Brahman, Hinduism is rightly considered a polytheistic religion. They have many gods. So this is a view that uh, you can have as many gods as you want. Uh, You can create as many gods as you want. There are many gods. So we've looked at monotheistic faith. We've looked at Trinitarian monotheistic. We've looked at polytheism. There's a fourth view of God, and it's called hedonism. Now, this is the view that there is one God who is supreme but there are also other deities as well. Now, this perspective has been found in several Native American religions, but there's a supreme God. They're not sure who that is, but they create many other deities as well. And so, as I look at hedonism, this would be the belief that you can just pile on this list of many gods and and pretty much create any god that you want. So, there'd be a sun god, there'd be a moon god, uh, there'd be a god of fertility, a rain god, and, and all these other gods that were created. But there's one supreme god who is over all these lesser gods. So that is hedonism. Number five would be pantheism. And now this is a view that God is nature, and nature is God. Now the word pan means all. So God is in all nature. So with this particular belief, there's no personal God who exists apart from the universe. Instead, with pantheism, God is inseparably united with nature. God is nature. Nature is God. And so this is where we get the view where I can worship God in nature. I can go enjoy creation and I can worship him in nature. But the danger with pantheism is that you are worshiping the creation more than the creator. Uh, You're finding God in all things and all of nature. So you will worship a tree or you'll worship a plant or you worship Mother Earth. So in this view, God is inseparably united with nature. So any statement about nature is a statement about God, and vice versa. Now, some of the ancient pagan religions and groups such as Wicca have tended toward pantheism. The 17th century philosopher uh, Spinoza promoted a form of pantheism in which all reality was viewed as being that of a single substance. So all of that substance would revolve 
around nature itself. So we've covered a lot already in a broadcast. We've covered monotheism, Trinitarian theism, monotheism, polytheism, the view that there are many gods, and all these gods kind of coexist together, but there is one primary god. Hedonism, a similar view, but there's one that is supreme god found in many of the Native American religions. Pantheism is the view that God is in all of nature, and so we must love and worship nature itself and all of creation. We must protect it at all costs, right? And you can see elements of pantheism and hedonism and polytheism in our culture today, where we are worshiping and honoring the creation instead of the creator. Number six. Number six is deism. And this is the view that an extremely intelligent and powerful being created the universe. But this being is no longer involved or no longer has any contact with the universe, nor does this being respond to the prayers and the concerns of people. So with deism, you have a cosmic creator. I guess you could say it's akin to a watchmaker who makes a watch, and he winds it up, and then he walks away from it forever. Deism was popular among the United States and the European elites during the time of the American Revolutionary War in the 18th century. Thomas Jefferson, for example, was a deist. He didn't believe in the supernatural, didn't believe that God will interfere in the affairs of man. And so Thomas Jefferson actually put together a Bible. It's called the Jefferson Bible. And in the Jefferson Bible, He took out all the miraculous. So it was a very short Bible, right? And very limited Bible, because if you take out all the miracles out of the Gospels, for example, you basically have cut the Bible down next to nothing. You see, Thomas Jefferson believed that a powerful being created the universe, but would not interfere in its day-to-day operations. Just kind of threw it off into space. It is winding down, and nobody knows exactly when it's going to run out. But this being is not going to interfere with its creation. And then there is atheism. Atheism is the view that there is no God. A means no. Of course, theism means God. No God. So the atheists do not believe in God or any supernatural metaphysical beings. Atheism has always had its adherents. Although major defenses of atheism can be found in the writings of some of the early philosophers and even some of the more common or or more modern philosophers like Bertrand Russell and Friedrich Nietzsche, they considered atheism as a viable belief that God does not exist. Even some have considered Buddhism uh, to be very close to atheism since the original Buddha did not promote belief in God or gods. So really, atheism is denying the existence of God, denying a belief in God. And what tends to happen with the atheists is they become a god themselves. In other words, I am God. I am the one that determines what is right and wrong. I am the one who controls my destiny. I've got a lot of questions about my future but I'm the center of what truth is. 
Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. The atheists, if they will be able to admit it, would say that they are the way, the truth, and the life. They create their own right, their own wrong, and as a result of that, they control their destiny, or so they think. That's what the atheists believe. There is no God, and because he does not exist, there is no supernatural metaphysical beings around. And then number eight, the last view is that of agnosticism. Now, this is the view that knowledge of God is impossible. You know, A meaning no, gnosis meaning knowledge. I have no knowledge that God exists. So Immanuel Kant was a philosopher, and his basis for agnosticism was based on his view that knowledge of the metaphysical realm was beyond the limits of reason. In other words, he would say, I don't think that God exists, but even if he did exist, I couldn't cognitively be aware that he exists. So whereas atheists boldly complain that no God exists, agnostics claim that we cannot know anything about God if he indeed does exist. So another form of agnosticism is the claim that we simply do not have enough information to know for sure whether a God exists. So the two forms of agnosticism can be seen in this statement. Actually, two statements. If there is a God, he cannot be known. And I don't know if God exists or not. I have no way of knowing. So I doubt that he exists, but even if it could be proven that he exists, I don't know that he exists. I cannot fathom him existing. I don't have the capacity to know whether or not he exists or not. Now, this sounds like almost like a comforting position, but can you imagine how difficult it is to navigate the future of your life when you're not sure that God exists? I mean, you're going to cast off all restraint. If you're an atheist, you believe there is no God, how can you be a happy person? How can you realize that there is somebody who one day is going to right all wrongs and is going to take care of those who put their faith and trust in him? As an atheist, how can you have rules of right and rules of wrong? Because it goes back to who you are. It might be right for you. It might be wrong for somebody else. You see, a world cannot really operate with that level of chaos. God is order, and he loves us so much that he put things in order. I want to spend the rest of the broadcast today talking about how do I know the will of God? And I want you to know that what I'm about to share with you, a lot of it has come from the book Experiencing God. And it's a book by Mr. Blackaby, and uh, it's a wonderful book on how to know God's work and God's will. When you think about it, this is a pivotal question that many people ask. Now, it takes on many different forms. Uh, Sometimes we ask specifically, what should I do about a certain thing in my life? You know, should I marry this person? Should I buy this car? Should I take this career path? Uh, Should I join this church or should I join that church? Should I buy this house or that house? Should I move across country or should I stay here? How do I know the will of God? Well, we've got to understand, first of all, that God is always working around us. He's not a God just just set the universe in place and let it wind down. 
God is always at work around us. He's constantly working. And as he's working, he is pursuing a relationship with us, a love relationship with us. And this relationship with God is personal and it is real. So God is always working and he's uh, pursuing a relationship with us. It is a real relationship. It is a personal relationship. Now, the dilemma is, is that we're not pursuing him, but he's pursuing us. And when we finally give up running from God, then he will reveal himself to us. Here's the third thing about knowing the will of God. God invites you to become involved with him and his work. So God's not saying, I don't want no relationship with you. He wants a relationship with us. He's not hiding from us. He's pursuing us. And he invites us to become involved with him. He wants us to join him in what he is doing. And I don't know about you, but that's a high honor in my, in my way of thinking, that the God who created and sustains all things wants to have a relationship with me. He knows I exist. He created me. He knows the number of hairs on my head, and he pursues me. And he wants me to be involved with him and with his work. Here's the fourth point. This is such an important point because it speaks about how God speaks to us. Now, there are five ways in which God speaks to us. Number one, God speaks by the Holy Spirit. I am so thankful for the mighty power and the mighty work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer, the Holy Spirit teaches us, the Holy Spirit comforts us, the Holy Spirit convicts us. You know, when you're doing something wrong, Uh, Your conscience reminds you that you're doing something wrong, but it is the Holy Spirit that brings about conviction. So God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible. You ever wonder why there is an assault on the Bible? There are 66 countries in which it is illegal to own a Bible. Unbelievable, right? Thank God we live in a day and age where we have the internet. And so even in these countries where it's illegal to have a Bible, the Bible is still crossing the borders. God speaks through the Bible. The Bible is God's love letter to us. B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. Basic information I need before leaving the earth. The Bible is God's letter to us, God's communication with us. When we pray, we pray to God, and he answers through Scripture. So God speaks to the Holy Spirit through the Bible. Number three, God speaks through circumstances. Now, this is an important point, but this is one of those things that we've got to be careful on because just as the Holy Spirit works and speaks to us and the enemy will take the Bible and try to twist it, the enemy can also manipulate our circumstances because he knows that is one of the ways that God speaks to us. So if you're questioning whether your circumstance is of God or of of the enemy, ask yourself this question. The choice that I'm about to make based upon this circumstance that I'm facing right now, is it contrary to the Bible or is it in agreement with the Bible? God will never lead us to do something that is contrary to the Bible. There's another way that God speaks to us. 
and that is through prayer. I'm so glad that God gave us this wonderful avenue of prayer. One of the things that I would encourage you to do in 2024 is pray more, study God's Word more. Why don't you take the challenge this year to read through the Bible? And if you're like me, sometimes reading the difficult portions of the Bible can can really bog you down. So what I do for those difficult passages, I listen to them. Usually I do it as I'm walking and I'll put up on Bible Gateway or on my Bible app. I'll put up the Bible and I have it, have it reading it to me as I'm walking. And that way I can hear it and I don't have to worry about stumbling over trying to how to pronounce all those, uh, those difficult names. It has brought to me a whole new level of meaning. I also try to pray Scripture, right? And as you pray Scripture, the Word of God comes alive and God speaks to us. So God speaks through His Holy Spirit, through the Bible, through circumstances, through prayer. And number five, now don't miss this one, because we're getting a lot of bad teaching. And the teaching is saying, you don't really need the church. Just have a relationship with Jesus, right? Just read your Bible, maybe listen to services online. There's nothing wrong with that. Our church services are online. Are you listening to a a radio broadcast? Nothing wrong with that. That's good. But don't do that at the expense of the church. God speaks to his church. That's why I want everyone who listens to me connected with a Bible-believing church. It doesn't have to be my church. Find a good Bible-believing church where the pastor preaches the Word of God. Don't go to a church that is all emotional and sensationalism. Don't go to a church where it's a three-ring circus, right? Go where they're teaching the Word of God. Go where there's a high regard for Scripture. That's how God speaks to us. You know why it's so important? Now, maybe I'm just giving some self-disclosure here, and maybe this is not a problem that you have. But I sometimes have discovered when I'm reading my Bible, uh, I come across a passage, right? And sometimes I don't, I don't necessarily like that passage. And what do I do? I kind of glance over it, right? Uh, I go on to the next verse, okay? Well, you know, when you go to church, uh, you don't have the opportunity to fast forward uh, what the pastor is saying. Unless you're listening online, then you can do it. But if you're in a live church service, I promise you, God's going to speak to you in that service. And some of the things he's going to say to you is going to be very encouraging. I mean, we go to encourage one another, right? Especially as we see the end times approaching us. But there's going to be some things that you're going to hear that will convict you. You know, not too long ago, I had a a guy come to me and say, well, Pastor, I'm leaving the church. I said, why are you leaving the church? He said, I'm not feeling comfortable here. I said, that's the reason to stay, not to leave. Because if you're always feeling comfortable at a church, God's not speaking to you. I mean, unless you're perfect, right? And none of us are perfect. So when we go to church, part of it is that that exhortation that we receive. We receive it as we go and we gather together with other believers. So God speaks through the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, through circumstances, through prayer, and through the church to reveal himself to us. Now, when God speaks... It always requires us to move, right? When God speaks, that's the time to move. It requires faith and action that requires major adjustments to your life. And that's when you'll begin to experience God's will. 
when he speaks to you and you follow through with faith and action, you make major adjustments in your life, then you know and experience God's will as you obey and he accomplishes his work in you and through you. And I want you to know, it is an amazing way to live your life, following God every step of the way. Well, if I can help you with anything that I've spoken to you about today, would you shoot me a text? If I can pray for you, would you shoot me a text at 252-267-2365? And then I do want to remind you that Hickory Ridge Academy is hiring. If you are interested in working with children, and we pay pretty decently, we pay more than uh, most of the other uh, private schools pay in our area, uh, we would love to talk with you and uh, share more with you on that. Uh, so just shoot me a text, say that you're interested and uh, employment at HRA Hickory Ridge Academy, and I'll get back to you and I'll put you in contact with the right people, okay? Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a new year, new opportunities are lying before us. So let's pray that 2024 will be the best year ever. That it'll be a year that you experience God on a whole new level. It'll be a year that you grow in your faith. It'll be a year that when you come through the trials and the tribulations, that you come out victorious on the other side. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.